From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Colin Donovan. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Welcome again to Open Line Friday to be uh, quite specific about it. This is the program with a different host every day of the week. Today is Friday, so we turn to America's favorite theologian, Mr. Colin Donovan. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing on this Earth Day? You know, oh, it is Earth Day, isn't it? Yes, it it is. Uh, You know, I I would rather concentrate on Easter Friday, if you don't mind. Uh, Well, we we can do that, you know. We've got Mercy Sunday coming up, a bunch of things. Plenty of of things to talk about, which I will do uh, or, you know, ask you about various things as soon as we give out the phone numbers, which is very important since it is a call-in talk show. That's why we have call in Donovan with us today. It's 833, I know, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're listening outside of North America, please dial the U.S. country code and then 205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for our response and then text us your first name and your brief question. Message and data rates may apply. We'll also get to a couple of emails on today's program. The address for that, openline at EWTN.com, openline at EWTN.com. Be sure to uh, put either theology in the subject line or Friday or Colin, something that will uh, get the right question to the right host. It occurred to me, Colin, as we are in uh, the octave of Easter, uh, which continues through Sunday, right? It does, uh, in that uh, eight-day feast celebration, which is actually an extension of the practice of the Jewish people for their greater holidays. Uh, This year, in fact, I think we had the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread Mm -hmm. more or less coinciding. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it it shows how much the Church has uh, used what God gave Israel in the Old Covenant as the jumping-off point for what the Church does, fulfilling and completing that which pre-existed. So this morning I was listening to uh, Annie Mitchell on the Sunrise Morning Show, Mm -hmm. and she was saying that, uh, you know, there are those of us, uh, herself included, uh, Tom and Adrienne Price included, who have chosen to give up meat all year long. And uh, there are a number of us, but we don't have to do that today because um, it is this wonderful, uh, you know, feasting period. So we're going out for steak tonight. That's well, all there is to that. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm not sure about the wisdom of giving up meat. I hope you're getting your essential amino acids somewhere well, well, we, uh, we We do. I mean, I, mean, <laughs> I, I understand that, that the church said you don't have to, and, and this was in the 60s, I believe, yeah. the church uh, amended things to say you don't have to give up meat on Friday, but you should give up something. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's right. And because for a solemnity, which the, ver- the canon law says that 
the laws of uh, abs- abstinence and fasting uh, do not apply on the solemnity of the church. Uh-huh. And each of the days of Easter week is, is a solemnity. This is not true during Christmas week, however. Right. But during Easter, it is true. And therefore, you are entitled to go out and get your... Uh, your steak dinner or your burger or or whatever it is you want uh, today. I myself had a chicken sandwich for lunch, so uh, there are many ways of, of feasting. Uh, and one of the great things about the faith is that we recognize that the feast has a purpose. It's not about pigging out, but it's about right. recognizing the end of one period of time and another that the period of fast and preparation has ended and now is the the time of feasting. So as we will do after this long travail of this life, yes, we will feast in heaven with God for eternity. And so we can look at it that way, that uh, t- today it's not only, you're not, ob- not only able to feast, mm-hmm. in a certain sense you ought to, yeah. recognizing the greater feast that will come at the end of life and at the end of history for, for all of us. Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan. The phones are open for you right now at 833 833- 288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We'll get to the phones in just a moment. First, a a quick email from Mike in Iowa. Why do Catholics worship on Sunday? Doesn't the fourth commandment call for the seventh day of the week, a Saturday, to be holy? Well, uh, that's in in one of the listings. It's the fourth commandment in the Deuteronomic listing. It's uh-huh. the it's the third. Okay. Uh, but no, because that was for the old covenant. Uh, there, we were celebrating the Israelites were celebrating the creation of God and the covenant that God made with Adam and the covenant made with Noah and the covenant made with Moses, and so that was the era of history in which that celebration was to take place. With the church, it is clear that the celebrating the first day of the week, the day of the resurrection, became the central uh, uh, facet of that. And so we have St. Paul saying during his, uh, during his uh, tra- travels, recorded in the Acts of the Apostles, that he would go into the synagogues on the Sabbath, which is the Jewish Sabbath, and preach to them. And then on Sunday, he would break bread with the Christians. There we see the two Sabbaths represented side by side. Mm -hmm. Now, if one is fixated on the idea that Christ's promise didn't prevail and that somehow between uh, maybe the death of the apostles and whenever the founder of your non-Catholic church was born, there was this great lapse in the authority of anybody Mm -hmm. and only the authority of Scripture prevailed, then yes, you could might draw that conclusion. The only trouble with that is there is a continuous existence of the apostles in the church mm-hmm. down to our day. And so we know what the church of the first century did in the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and so on. And so the, sun, the Sunday Sabbath is the Christian Sabbath in the same way you would say the Saturday is, is, the, uh, uh, is the Jewish. Mm-hmm. And the Muslims have adopted Friday. I'm not sure the logic of that. I'm sure there's an explanation, but I just don't know it. Okay, very good. And thank you so much uh, for your question. Uh, Two questions here from Colby. Number one, why do some Catholics not like Vatican II and believe the Novus Ordo Mass is not as reverent as the Latin Mass? And my second question, 
What are some daily habits that can lead me to becoming a saint? Thanks for your awesome show. It makes the workday easy. Well, I, I think p- different people have difference of opinion with regarding the, the merits of the council, whether it was needed, perhaps, whether what was written. Because it wasn't a doctrinal council, it's quite clear that many of the decisions were pastoral and therefore prudential, uh-huh. which means that they're, they're temporal. They don't apply forever, and if some future counselor came along, they could decide that the times required something else. But the council was there to, uh, as John 23rd uh, uh, noted when he uh, opened the council, that the splendor of the truth shined through the church and through her teachings more evidently to the world. Mm -hmm. There was a huge gap building, as there continues to build, actually, between the world and the church in terms of meeting the hearts of men and drawing them to Christ. And so the thought was that we could we could benefit from perhaps different pastoral styles and so on. Doctrinally in the council, there is a good deal as well. There is uh, some elements of the uh, unconcluded First Vatican Council, which ended because of the uh, coming of the Italian forces into Rome. Uh, there is the element of the role of the bishop in the magisterium and the relationship to infallibility and all and the various things that the First Vatican Council were considered, that, that, that uh, the Second Vatican Council took up. And those are perennial things that will survive. They're doctrinal things. Uh, there are also ma- matters of, of liturgical theology, uh-huh. which are said there, which would also survive. And that would be true because even if you're celebrating in the extraordinary form or the ordinary form, uh, because... In both of those, you see a long history and an evolution of, uh, of liturgical thinking and theology in the church. And so both those two expressions of it. The difficulty is that if one thinks that, that to maintain faithful to that liturgical tradition requires simply continuing exactly and building on what is present now— mm-hmm then you certainly are going to have an intellectual divide and an opinion of divide between peoples. And I think that's that's where it is. Uh, it's quite interesting that Pius XII was very forward-thinking in terms of the liturgy. He made changes in the liturgy himself. He advocated the development of liturgical theology and the things that were being done for during the first half of the 20th century, uh-huh. continuing, as well as scriptural uh, investigations in the original language and so on, all the things which have contributed to what the Second Vatican Council uh, came out with. And so uh, I think time will tell of the practical and prudential elements, but I think the core of the things there are noteworthy and worth, worth keeping. Colby, uh, thanks for your question, and uh, maybe we'll get to Colby's second question a little later on in the show. Coming back in a moment with Bob in Duluth, also Teresa in New York, Line open for you at 833-288-EWTN for Open Line Friday. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or Send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Colin Donovan here to answer your questions at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. You know, EWTN is now heard coast to coast 
and around uh, all over the place on over 350 radio stations here in America and uh, around the world, over 500 stations. You can find out how you can help start up a Catholic radio station where you live, powered by the truth of the church and EWTN's dynamic radio programming. Email our friend Steve at this address, radio at EWTN.com. He would love to hear from you wherever you are, radio at EWTN.com. If you're ready now, let's go to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. We begin with Bob listening to one of those great radio stations, Real Presence Radio out of Duluth. Hey, Bob, what's on your mind today, sir? Okay, thank you for taking my call. Mm -hmm. My question is concerning moral cooperation with evil. And I can use, uh, there are many examples you could use, many situations. But I'm using a specific example. My wife and I would be buying products or services from companies or organizations. Some of them could be very large companies. While we're doing this, we discover that this company might be contributing some of their money to an immoral cause, to something Mm -hmm. that's evil. My question is, what's the level of moral cooperation here? Would be required to cease doing business with this company? And if we continued doing it, would there be formal cooperation or material cooperation? Would it be immediate or would it be mm-hmm. proximate or remote? In other words, what's, what's the level of our moral cooperation when we're actually uh, doing business with a company, okay. some of okay. which of their money is being used immorally? Sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I mean, the first question you can ask yourself is, do I will the object of the evil that they are doing? And if the answer is no, then it can't be formal cooperation. You are leaving that out. Uh, You can set that aside right away. So it gets down to determining what level of a material cooperation that uh, you're engaged in. Let's take a biblical example. We have cases, certainly in the Gospels, where the the Roman soldiers, a centurion, Mm. uh, came to the Lord, where tax collectors uh, came to the Lord, where others, you know, bringing these kinds of issues to them. And he always emphasized not that they disengage from the world around them, not that they leave the service of what is arguably an evil government, the government of Rome. Yeah. That was not his claim. Or even uh, the, the Roman legions, which obviously was capable of doing evil, but could also do what it was doing in, in ways which would be morally uh, upright. And so, therefore, he always encouraged people to be honest, good, just, moral themselves. Right. So you can, uh, you'll, you'll see that in the gospel accounts. This is effectively how the church deals with it. Now, you can take any particular case. If you were to say, for instance, I will have no material cooperation with any entity that does something that is immoral, I hope that you are growing your own food, <laughs> making, raising your own crops for clothing and you know, linen and cotton and so on. You can go down the line, much less computers and electronics yeah. than we're using right now. Sure. It's simply not possible to be, live in the world and disengage totally from the evil that others will do, either because they are involved in the production of a product or because they take the monies that are ga- given honestly for that product, say, at an honest price, although... Mm-hmm. 
we all question the honesty of some <laughs> of the prices of things. Yeah. But let's assume at an honest price, and then they go off and they use it for something else, whether they do it directly as the board of a corporation, mm-hmm. or very often is the case because founders of corporations very often have uh, uh, foundations they set up. So you get the Ford Foundation, or you know uh, any company would set up a f- could set up a foundation, mm-hmm. and a certain amount of money goes into the foundation, uh, and from the foundation it goes out to causes which that the church could not approve of. So at that t- point, you're looking at very remote causation. And I think even where the company is, say, its own practices, let's say in its own practices, and many companies are doing this, they're fostering gender ideology or critical race theory in, in applying, you know, in, in, in making distinctions based on, on skin color alone rather than on the character and the merit and so on and so forth. And so by teaching those kinds of things, well, I don't want my money going to those kinds of things. Again, you would have to grow your own crops, grow your cotton, make your clothes, build your own computers from the parts uh, that you can pick up in the dumpsters (laughs) and so on. It would be pretty tough. So ultimately, with most of the things we're doing in the world, we are remote enough away that we are remote material cooperators. This came up with the question of the vaccines. Sure. The church judged that formally as remote material cooperation. Many things and most things are closer to us than that. The company may be using, you know, labor overseas that is not getting just wages or destroying the environment overseas mm-hmm. uh, in ways that are not allowed in the United States. So the rules there are looser than we have in our country, protecting water and air and so on, and they're doing using, uh, uh, breaking those, or they're using the advantage of being in a foreign uh, jurisdiction. All of those things, again, are remote cooperation. We probably could, and we sort of do this, selectively uh, decide what is the particular thing which is most horrendous here? And to choose the idea of a boycott as mean a voluntary, not obligatory refusal to buy the stock of, cooperate in that sense, which yeah. gives you an even closer ownership sure. of the work. Mm-hmm. That's more probably a thing to avoid. That's why there are groups like the Ave Maria uh, investments, which yep. do make those kind of moral choices and mm-hmm. give you opportunities for moral investments. Mm-hmm. So I would say don't invest in companies that are doing evil things. That would be one way of distancing yourself. And in some cases, it may get to the point now where companies will be persecuting Christians and believers. I would say find another product from somebody else. Yeah. Would even that be obligatory? Probably not. It would probably still be remote <clears throat> material cooperation. Now, he asked about immediate. Immediate would be where you're close enough to it that really you're participant in it. You know, there, what would be, say an example, abortion clinic. There's one everybody understands. You're the guard at the door, or you're the janitor they've hired, or the secretary they're hired. Mm -hmm. It'd be very difficult to sit in that chair and do your work and say, well, I am personally opposed to abortion, but... 
that is tantamount to immediate material cooperation, or it is immediate material, and it's tantamount to formal cooperation. Yeah. So those would certainly be cases that you should not do. Uh, so making all of those distinctions uh, is pretty difficult, but you can look at each example and, 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 mm-hmm. and sort of draw out the lines of causality there and say, I'm not choosing this, what they're doing that's evil, and I'm remotely connected materially to it, and therefore I have the choice to not participate, but I can. Bob, is that helpful for you? That is very helpful, and I'm thinking the mortal sin, for instance, involved in this would be that you are giving them the money because you want them to use some of your money to do an evil thing. Well, at that point, that's formal cooperation. If you give money for something knowing it'd be given only for an evil purpose... Yeah. And is not just awash with all the other money that may be going for very legitimate things. That would be a mortal sin. But that's intention in you. Right, right. You know, I give the money to Planned Parenthood so that they can paint the outside of their building. Well, that's stupid. You can't do that. Right. You're formally, again, that would be immediate material cooperation. So the connection between the money you pay down at the Walmart for a product that is made by somebody doing something illegal, that's... That's remote. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're not willing, gee, I hope that dollar ends up in the pockets of uh, Planned Parenthood or, you know, slave laborers in somewhere. Uh, unless you're willing that evil, you're not participating in it. Bob, thanks so much for your call. That opens up a line for you right now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. I'm thinking of a uh, national, let's say a national department store or a store that supplies a lot of goods and services, including frozen pizza. Mm-hmm. Well, there is such a chain here in Birmingham, and I'm, I'm sure they're doing just fine, but they don't need my money for that frozen pizza. I can get a frozen pizza someplace else. Yeah, and that's always, if, if, if there's 10 companies you can choose from and one of yeah. them is doing something yeah. you don't like, then go to one of the other nine. There you go. Teresa is in uh, New York listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Teresa, what's on your mind today? Yes, hi, good afternoon. I, uh, I'm calling to speak to Mr. Donovan um, to see, I'm, I'm sure he is familiar with... Um, Living in the Divine Will, our, our parish just um, started a study group, and we are learning of the writings of Louisa Picaretta, Living in the Divine Will. Is that something that you're familiar with, Mr. Donovan? Oh, am I? <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, well. I, I, I'm a lifelong Catholic. I, I did, for a number of years, uh, not live my Catholicity. Tell you what, um, Teresa, yeah, and, and since we're coming up on a break, why don't you yeah. just go ahead and, and take that call right now? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, I, I recommend you go to our website in our uh, answers section. Uh, look for, under the Marian questions, uh, or the Mystics, no, it's Private Revelation and Mystics, yeah. I think it's called. Mm-hmm. You will find a, a good deal of information on it. Let's just say Luis Picaretta has a cause for canonization, which is at Rome, which means it's past the diocesan stage. The writings are being held in abeyance, and the Archbishop of the See, Trani, in southern Italy, from which she came and which did the first investigation of her life that got passed to Rome after they approved it, put certain stipulations on how it should be handled. 
he wants, would like to see that those who are teaching from the writings have his permission, but he notes that he doesn't have the authority to require bishops. But wherever it is to, to oblige by that, there you see if they a bishop wants to allow person X, Y, or Z to run a uh, divine will teaching, do that, he can. The question is, I think, if the bishop has been not been involved in this decision, then that is a that is a point which might be raised, because the criteria here are quite unique and distinct because of of the way it's being handled by Rome herself, separating her life and holiness, which has been attested to and affirmed, from the content of her writings, which need a lot of hermeneutical interpretation, and like one person in a thousand has the capacity and ability and competence to do that. All right, Teresa, do uh, do check out the website, EWTN.com, and you'll find it. Lots more straight ahead on Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan. Stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. A couple of lines are open for you right now. If you have a question for our own Colin Donovan at 833-288-EWTN, that's 833 833- 288-3986. Hey, if you're listening to us in Atlanta today, please keep your radio station in prayer, Atlanta Catholic Radio, which we know of as 1160 AM, The Quest. They are celebrating their fourth anniversary this week. Congratulations to our friend Carol Tearsmith and her great team at The Quest. Please support your Catholic radio station. All right, back to the phones now at 833-288-EWTN. Here is Sarah, a first-time caller from Indianapolis, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hey, Sarah, happy Friday to you. What's on your mind today? Happy Friday, Colin. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. You just spoke with Bob, and his question was, and this is really um, something I've been thinking about for a while, Bob had mentioned, how are we complicit to sin if we're doing business with different organizations that might support things that aren't necessarily Christian or Catholic? And so thank you for that insight on going through what's material complicity and things like that. My question to you is, should we take a greater stance as a church body to say, we are not going to start spending money and empowering organizations because with money comes power. That's how, that's how these things grow. What are your thoughts on really looking at who we're doing business with mm-hmm. um, in terms of their moral responsibility and their alignment with the Catholic Church? Me, personally, I try, I try to make sure who I'm spending my dollars with um, aligns uh, in, a, in a moral way. If all of us did this, could you imagine how that would change the business world and how that would grow? Mm-hmm. Um, a more positive economy with, with some moral backing. What are your thoughts? Well, my first thought is there's nothing in church teaching that obliges boycotting or, or making those kinds of choices. Uh, the other one is that prudentially, we're free to make those choices, and we make those judgments, and I think we make them on the greater things rather than the lesson, lesser things. Otherwise, we're spending our lives nitpicking over, you know, what everybody else in the world is doing, you know, the beam in the eye of the other is, you know, missing the seeing the splinter and missing the beam yeah, in our own. Yeah. I think we have to avoid that. The other consideration is this: is very often the evil is very much buried buried in it. You know, take the, I mentioned the Ford Foundation, yeah. all the money that they've spent to promoting uh, reproductive rights and abortion mm-hmm. around the world and, mm-hmm. and so on. 
Okay, so this is not a, a different category than, say, Planned Parenthood. Get, don't give to an evil organization that's going to use it immediately for evil. But a lot of corporations, a lot of foundations, they are giving some money here. They may be, they may be building, you know, schools in Africa with the money as well. And it's, it's, broadly, it's broadly distributed in that way. So you end up cutting off the good in order to, you know, in order to punish them for this evil they're doing here. The other consideration is the workers. There are a lot of Bettys and Susans and Toms and Harrys and Joes, you know, working who if you put especially manufacturing out of business, uh, then, you know, they they're lose their livelihood. So there's a lot of prudential considerations. You can't say that my money going here, you know, is doing something evil with, all, with also out saying, well, it's doing all of this other good. It's feeding families. It's helped children being born in the world. It's providing medical care for employees and so on. It's doing all, and I'm going to throw all of that out for the sake of this one here. So there's a lot of prudential elements for which you can make no broad generalizations of what one must do, certainly. Okay. And the church does not. There is no ought to do or must do in this matter. There can be the individual things. Today, a lot of people are talking about Disney because what they're doing down in Florida. Yep. Good choice to actually do that. Yeah. So there are a lot of things. Uh, and Mother used to, I don't know, who is the one that, was it Disney even? It might have been. Could have been. You know, because they have a long and checkered history, a good history that yeah. became a little checkered with yeah. time. So I think you can pick your battles in that respect, uh, especially where you know that to a certain extent, the employees are not simply moving you know, widgets around on a factory floor or filling out ledger sheets. Mm -hmm. But they're involved in a whole edifice that is promoting an ideology, such as a major, you know, entertainment company does. There's a clear line. That's much different than a manufacturer who may also be promoting, you know, gender ideology by giving money to those groups or maybe gives them to Planned Parenthood. But they're also employing three, four million people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so you can't, make one umbrella generalization about all of the things we ought to give up. And the church doesn't do it, and I'm not going to do it either. But I will say, look at each of the things that you know, and you can make the judgment in particular cases that there is more good to be done here by, by disassociating with this particular company than the harm that might be done. Because ultimately, once you start basing it on consequences, you better go the whole route and do it as well. Because unless you're God, you can't foresee all the consequences of that decision. And that means for other people and their families and so on. And I think that's probably part of the reason the church has not really been into a boycotts, whether it's over sure. apartheid or the Palestinians or anything. It can get very tricky very quickly. Right. And for individuals to do it and to make the choice that, yes, I want to do this because I'm concerned about a particular group of people or the un- whether it's the unborn or a particular, you know, ethnic group that's being persecuted or, or whatever, uh, that's a little bit different mm. than saying blanketly, I'm going to sever all of these relationships. Right. Those consequences would be, uh, that would be too extreme a conclusion. 
Sarah, thanks so much for your call. Yeah, that uh, thing that I mentioned a few minutes ago about the company that sells the frozen pizzas. Mm -hmm. uh, what we did in our case, and everybody's different, but what we did is write that company a letter, and we said, yep. we, we love your company. We're not going to shop there, and here's why, and laid it all out. Uh, never heard back from the company. Yeah. I wasn't expecting to. Uh, but we haven't bought their pizzas in a long and time. That, and that's easy to do oh, with sure, the local sure, context. But, sure. you know, you can imagine that a letter from Tom Bryce, uh, Tom Price to a, you know, corporation off somewhere is... Forget uh, it. That's a little fly. Yeah. We'll just whack that one away. All right. It is <laughs> Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. Your phone calls are welcome right now. And now is the time to call before it gets too late in the hour. 833 288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Kathy is in Omaha listening on the Great Spirit Catholic Radio. Hi, Kathy. What's on your mind today? Hi. Happy Easter. Thank you. Um, my mom, who's elderly, she was raised in the 30s and 40s, mm -hmm. and she insists that the priests and nuns that taught her back then taught that if someone does not think that something is a sin or doesn't believe it's a sin, that it's not. In other words, say somebody who was raised in the faith and they just stopped going to church. Um, and mom, we have several nieces and nephews mm -hmm. and that, and my sons that have dropped away, and they don't mm -hmm. go to church. Mm -hmm. They don't think there's anything wrong with it, that there's not a sin. And my mom insists that the <laughs> orders of priests and nuns that taught her taught them that. Yeah. What can I tell her? Well, um, Probably in the context in which uh, they taught it, it was something like this. The person who unaware that an activity is sinful, who does it not knowing, in other words, invincibly ignorant of its sin, has not, is not culpable before God. Materially, they're culpable. They did something. Uh, look at our, our, our culture and the degree to which kids are raised to believe that, you know, fornication is nothing. They wouldn't call it even that. You know, they have other names for it. Yeah. Because they're completely ignorant, invincibly ignorant, because they were not raised in a Christian environment and culture. There's nothing to oppose that. They're raised to think that that kind of behavior and activity is normal. And you can assume that unless somebody has tried to get it through them and they've resisted because mm -hmm. they're attached to what they wish to do, uh, that maybe God will not hold them very accountable for that. And that's, that's the logic of that teaching. It applies invincible ignorance, which you hear of normally in the context of outside the church, no salvation, applies with any other sin as well. God doesn't judge us. As Christ said, the measure by which you measure will be measured back to you. In other words, the ruler is our conscience. If our conscience is well-formed, we better hold to it yeah. and run to confession when we don't. If our conscience is poorly formed, then God will judge us by what, where our conscience is at, even in the poverty of its formation. So it's that sense in which she is right. It's more difficult to apply it to those who have been raised and taught and at some point accepted and understood the, what the Ten Commandments meant and what they said and what our obligations to adhere to them and what the penalty for not adhering to them because there they can't blame God for their failure to live up to it. They can't blame ignorance. Yeah. They knew it, but it's inconvenient to remember it and believe it. That'll be on them. So I think it depends on the context for fallen away Catholics. 
Again, it could be poverty of catechesis has left them in ignorance, mm-hmm. or it's just their will to do the things they want to do, and there ain't no ignorance in that. Yeah. I'm sort of quoting uh, Father Mitch here. Probably so. Yes. All right, very good. And uh, Kathy, thank you so much for your call. Do appreciate hearing from you. I want to tell you about a wonderful program that has been on our schedule for many, many years, and that is Family Theater Classic Radio. These episodes were produced back in the 1940s, I think in the 1950s even, uh, under the umbrella uh, guidance there of Father Patrick Payton. You may remember him, the fellow who said the family that prays together stays together, and he put his money where his mouth is. Uh, not Not only did he put his money there, he put sound effects, he put a full orchestra, he put the Mutual Network on there, and it was a wonderful program in its day. That's why we still carry them on EWTN Radio. This weekend, it'll be Railroad and Churchyard. What does that even mean? I have no idea, but I know that if I tune in at 11.30 on Sunday evenings, uh, Eastern Time, I will definitely be entertained, and I'll probably learn a few things. So do check it out. Family Theater Classic Radio right here on EWTN. Let's go now to uh, Jeff in Duluth, listening on the great Real Presence Radio. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. Happy Easter. It's been a good week for me, prayerfully. Good. And I, I'm, I'm to the point now where I want to know, because I want to share, um, what do I look for now that the Pope has consecrated Ukraine and Russia to Mary's heart? I mean, I pray to Mary. Mary uh, reveals herself to me more than once. I know that's a personal thing. But I want to know what to look for in the world uh, so that I know Mary is involved and we're on the right track. Well, I think people are expecting fireworks, uh, and God is capable of intervening in dramatic ways. Um, We can only look at the 1984 consecration, and on our website I have a whole timeline of what happened after that. The Pope's consecrated. Within a year, uh, the munitions—in fact, I think it was on the day of the consecration— uh, one of the key players died in Whoa. the Soviet Union. Wow. Uh, a couple important munitions factories for submarines and inter- intercontinental ballistic missiles uh, exploded. There were accidents and loss of all of that. There was a change of government, the perestroika of Gorbachev, uh, the uh, removing of the restrictions on religions within a couple of years. You, you see, saw concrete events happen. And finally, the fall of the, the wall came in 87, I believe, I three years so, later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in 89, essentially, the um, uh, 89 or 91, I forget which year, the, the dissolution of the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. effectively. Mm-hmm. So things happen providentially. And you, there were no lightning bolts came down that I ever heard of that blew up those plants. But in God's providence, those things occurred... He is the Lord of history, after all. After those events, and it led to the liberation of the peoples of the Soviet bloc to worship God and to love him and to to serve him without the restrictions of their government. That was the result there. We shall see what time will tell. God can intervene in miraculous ways. We know that. More often than not, he intervenes in providential ways that leaves it to our faith to tell that here is the finger of God. And that's the trouble. I think many people are looking for the fireworks 
when God more than often works through providence such that the believer says, here is the finger of God, and the non-believer says, oh, well, I'm just things that happen. There's no particular deity involved in this whatsoever. Now, if God wants to make a point to the world, he can do that. Yes. And he can bring it to our attention. So that's what I think you just have to wait and see how history unfolds. <laughs> the idea that the consecration would be made one day and then something tremendous would happen, it doesn't also mean, I don't think, that things can't get worse before they get better. And I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on Open Line, uh, and that is that much of of the warning of Fatima seems to have been warning about mankind's capable of self, capability of self-destruction. Uh, the evidence of the great light of January 38, 1938, which has been interpreted by a U.S. government a nuclear scientist as being most similar to a high-altitude uh, atomic bomb explosion, specifically mm. a hydrogen uh, uh-huh. bomb explosion, suggests to us that Mary was warning, war, warning us of entering into an era when man was capable, would be capable of destroying himself through warfare, and certainly that sword is hanging over us now oh, yeah. with respect to the Ukraine, but also through bioethics. Through bioethics, the things that are being done now and say what scientists say they want to do is a threat to the very nature of man. Um, and that's irrespective of conspiracy theories regarding COVID. This has to do with the actual manipulation. And the recent announcement of some scientists that they had succeeded in repairing uh, embryo frozen in vitro, the DNA of it, and bringing it to birth, which, of course, they waited till twins were born mm-hmm. uh, from this. Mm-hmm. This is this is an abomination. There's no other word for it. And a nuclear bomb is the product of a human ingenuity and what God has built into creation. Uh, this goes further. It's an effort to change man himself, and God is sovereign over the other, but in a special way over man and his nature. Uh, so... Uh, we things can get worse before they get better, but I think we have the promise that at least now in uh, new, something will resolve there. When it will happen, I, I don't know. We'll have to see what, yeah. what history does. Yeah. I think the whole question of Fatima, as uh, Cardinal or Pope Benedict would say, he was then Cardinal Ratzinger still, uh-huh. is something that is, is somewhat pending. Uh, in that we, the era of peace Our Lady promised is clearly does not seem to be here. Uh, what will constitute it, we cannot say in any definitive fashion. But we're looking for that to occur. He said so in 2010 at Fatima as Pope, actually, although he had uh, spoken about this continuing uh, prophetic character even before that when he was not Pope. So we'll see what happens in those respects, yeah. and we leave it to God. He's the sovereign here, not us, and not our ideas of what he'll do. Yes, indeed. Open line uh, Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. Hong is listening to us in Seattle this afternoon on Sacred Heart Radio. Hong says, My priest said that death is worse than any suffering, so we should not hope for it if we are dying. If heaven is being with God, was the priest wrong? Is death a bad suffering? 
Well, physically, it's certainly bad. It's the challenge that we will all face. Mm -hmm. It's the challenge which the saints tell us the devil is going to be trying to uh, get us to despair and be discouraged. And I think he does that because we know of its death's finality, at least from this mortal life. We leave our family and friends behind. We leave all those cherished memories that we have. Uh, We know often that the spouses... uh, uh, who's lost a spouse to death, especially a more aged one, uh, they, they, in essence, they long for that. They long for being that reunion. But nonetheless, it's certainly physically a challenge, and morally it's a challenge because we have to surmount it and be, persevere to the end, as St. Paul encouraged us to do. Uh, so I think from that point of view, it is worse than any suffering, but it holds a hope that other suffering does not have, and that is that we will go to our reward with God if we are in his grace, uh, even if it may mean some, you know, staying over for cleaning up. Yeah, there you go. Hong, thanks so much for listening this afternoon. Gabe says, uh, can you please give a rational argument against universalism, one that doesn't call upon tradition, as some might not be ready to accept it, or sacred scripture, as many will interpret scriptures differently or even take them out of context. So is there a rational argument against universalism, and specifically to someone who calls themselves Christian but seems to have lost their way? So God set up this. This is historical fact. I guess you can look for it in scripture. God set up a religion Mm -hmm. uh, through Moses. He obliged... They they lived it a certain way. I'm trying to back this away from Scripture. Okay. They lived a certain way that historically uh, known uh, down to the first century. Mm-hmm. And Christ comes along and s- establishes a different protocol of living that religion, if you will, a whole new way. And so how can you then now divorce how you live as a believer in Christ from the way that he established Now, the Scripture tells us more precision as to what that way is and is what the external accoutrements, if you will, of that way are. The priesthood, the sacraments, and so on, by name or not, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. The the elements are there. The realities are there. So Scripture fleshes out what seems... I I think maybe the the best uh, way of doing it, without describing the contents, but just a phrase is a document by Cardinal Ratzinger back in 2000 on the unicity of Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church. In other words, Christ and the Church are something unique in history. Unique enough that history has seemed to revolve around Christ and the Church. Whether you believe in Christ or believe in the Church, that certainly is a true thing. So how can you set aside either one of those on one's own personal authority without looking to some external authority to tell you how I ought to go? Mm-hmm. Is it all just all you know one-off? We're all just one before God and that's it and it's some kind of universal Christianity? Or is there some authority that we look for? And history points to Christ and history points to the church. History doesn't point to the Bible, surprisingly. Mm. The church tells you to 
go to the Bible. Sure. As Paul tells you to go to the Bible and to what he has taught orally. So Christ and the church are evidences of history itself. And from the church, you learn about Christ and you learn about everything else as well. All right. That'd be one way of maybe logically getting into having to look in Scripture at the end of all of that. (laughs) Very good. All right. It's uh, Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan here on EWTN. And uh, one final question here as we're heading out the door. This is from Nancy. I am a mom to two children with special needs, specifically autism. We have had to advocate a lot with getting our son the right supports and services. My question, everywhere I look, I see, Jesus, I trust in you. How do I know if I should wait and see and have faith that things will change? Jesus, I trust in you doesn't mean a kind of pacifism. It means that faith, hope, and charity, and this trust is referring to the virtue of hope, Mm -hmm. by which we rely ultimately on God's divine power for our salvation, but Uh also for our material needs. Faith, of course, what faith teaches, faith in God, faith in Christ, faith in the church and all the things that the church teaches. And charity is the bond of communion with those other believers, and indeed with all, all mankind, in that we desire them to be with God. So hope is, at, at, uh, uh, is the key thing here. But hope has to be imbued with faith and imbued with charity. That means that there are concrete things that we have to do if you look at it from the point of view of charity. We're not allowed to be passive. We're not passive tools in the hand of God. And so that means that you have to do what is reasonable for the good of your children. Uh, You have to pursue avenues and doors that open up to you in this respect. Uh And I know in this field there are schools, the school districts mostly provide that, but there are other schools, private uh, institutions, which assist with those kinds of things. Uh, or through health insurance, you can get those kinds of services. You have to do the things that you can do and look for the Lord to open the doors for you. Yeah. Uh, you can't simply be passive and wait to them to come. There, he's not sending emails and letters to these people saying, oh, here is Mrs. Jones living at you know, such and such a street. You're going to have to go to them and look for the Lord to guide you in your judgment and your prudent decision as to how to help your child and, and serve your child as best you can. God bless you, Nancy. Thanks so much uh, for your question. We hope that's uh, helpful for you. Colin Donovan, thank you so much. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. And you as well. I'm looking forward to that steak. I can taste it right (laughs) now. Don't forget, uh, we do a wonderful program called Open Line every day of the week, along with uh, Colin Donovan, of course. It's going to be Father John Tregilio, Father Wade Menezes, Father Mitch, Father Brian Milady, and lots more here on Open Line Monday through Friday. On behalf of our fantastic team, Michael McCall, Matt Kabinsky, and Ace McKay, I'm Tom Price. Have a wonderful weekend. Hope you get that steak, too. See you Monday here on EWTN. God bless.